This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock, a business of intercessory prayer for businesses. Learn more at MarketplaceRock.com. Welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. I'm Steve Ryder. John, I want to say it was probably sometime last year, a former guest that we've had on the show, Gary Schneeberger, he introduced me to Jessica Stallings. And Jessica and I had a conversation because Gary said, you need to have her on eternal leadership. She's talking about stuff about working amongst generations and helping them to understand each other. And he said, her, she's, he's one of my best former employees that I ever had at Focus. And amazingly enough, at my time at Focus, I never really inter, I never crossed paths with her as far as either of us can remember. But in that conversation, I want to say it was probably about an hour conversation. It probably could have gone two or three hours because we just got into some stuff that we're both very passionate about and it just kept going. And John, we've caught her on her way, just leaving the gym on her way home. And she's taken some time to talk with us about what she's doing. And this is what I'm really excited about. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, John and Steve. Such a pleasure to be with you. And man, Steve, I say we just pick this conversation right up and take it a, a few more hours out the road. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. We don't want to freak out the listeners yet. <laughs> well, let's freak them out because, uh, you know, the stuff that you're doing, first of all, you're president of Regenerations. And we're going to be talking about some things and some generational issues and topics that I think people are going to find fascinating and you've had this incredible career with focus on the family and in communications and you've done some work with the Olympics too, right? As an athlete? Well, you know, I was honored with some Olympic athletes, but no, that would be an awesome opportunity though. That, well, you just came from the gym, so I figure, you know, you're <laughs> still at that level, but here's what I'd love to do because Steve knows you really well and we're going to have a great conversation. Before we jump into that, I'd love for you to share a little bit about kind of yourself and just kind of everything that's led up to what you're doing now. Oh, yes. You know, I love the power of story because really when we think about our leadership and our businesses and our companies, often it's personal stories and the journeys that lead us where we are. And that has been my story for sure. Many areas in my life, uh, John and Steve, that I've become very passionate about have birthed out of pain points. And this generational issue was definitely top of, of the list. Are either of you two planners, perchance? You like a good, solid plan? Not I, said the cat. John? <laughs> you know, I enjoy planning, but I've realized that I've never had a plan that survives first contact with execution. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but yeah. I do like to kind of go into it with some idea of how I'm going to get oh. to the destination. Oh, well, yeah, that was kind of how I was and still very naive that my color-coded plans would just fall perfectly into place. And so my first reality shock was post-college. You know, I had the job and the vision and everything planned. And man, that gap from college into the working world was so different than I expected. And there were so many gaps between my expectations and in my realities. Um, in that season, I started noticing a lot of trends with myself and my 20-something friends and we all had such cool lives and we were living in Colorado having a great time, but 
you know, posting on Facebook was kind of the big medium at the time. And like, what a great time we're having together. And then the next day, like, we're all pretty sad and not, not super happy. And so I started to notice a lot of things in, in my friends' lives and working in radio news reporting and bringing all of these different ages and perspectives together. There were so many unusual dynamics happening that I thought, oh my gosh, why are we clashing and could this be an age related thing? And so I started noticing something happening with different ages in the workplace and the particular life stage I was in as a 20 something or what now we we call emerging adulthood. And so I would talk to my mentor about it every single week. I said, man, I think there's something here, some kind of generational friction. And she said, oh, great, Jessica, you can call me and talk about this topic every single week and I will listen to you or you could do something about it and see what this thing is and how it can help other people. And so my mentor, Lisa, sent me a loaded gift card to Starbucks and went to the Starbucks up on Briar Great in Colorado Springs. But the contingency was that I would use that time to figure out what this topic is or what this challenge is and how I might be able to shed some light on it and help other people. Oh, so you all one night, one hour a week turned into two, turned into focus groups. I mean, I was having pizza, brownie nights, whatever I could get to get people and talk and to listen. And what quickly I found was this concept of life stage and, and generation and that, that the times and the context and the cultural norms. When we look at generations, we're looking at the times and, and the cultural experiences that a group of people have. That it, it forms one among many lenses that shape and impact how we view the workplace, our relationships, the world. And so without the right understanding, conflict can happen even when everyone has a positive intent. So I started um, capturing what I was learning and sharing it with anyone who would listen. I'm talking grocery store kind of, hey, (laughs) you know, you want the cereal and have you heard of generational theory? (laughs) And over time, I just... You know, Were you judging people based on whether they grab frosted flakes, Fruit Loops, or granola? Well, I'm just asking. I mean, have you looked at the sugar quality? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, you were. Okay, so, just, just so, throw it out know, there. <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm just saying we all have a lens, <laughs> and so it was so neat to see the process of of taking it and sharing sharing this message, and and eventually through life and situations, uh, found the courage to walk into the calling in a full time capacity. So. So Regenerations is my speaking and training and resource company, and I help organizations of all types and help people better understand and connect across generations so that we can build better relationships, workplace, and the world and transfer knowledge so that we can get better and stronger with each new generation. Now, when you say journey into calling, because what I'm hearing is you're in a job, right? You're actually sensing, seeing this friction between generations. There's some interest there. A mentor challenges you, but this was clearly something that was in alignment with your interests, your values, your passions. What was it about that that really kind of connected you into realizing that this is a calling? I think God was very specific about it. I mean, through prayer, through the people that I had around me, through the messages, as I can read back through my journal, I mean, so much clarity and how he was speaking to me. So I really began to sense that that calling. I remember going to Colorado Springs at New Life Church. They had this, this really large prayer room and 
flags from countries all, all around it and just continuous after affirmation after affirmation. Now, now, as I think about calling, I love the definition. It talks about the place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and, and a world need meet. And I love when I think about my deep gladness, I think a lot about where my passions and strengths come alive. And when I think about a world need, there's definitely one here in all aspects of of community, of, of church, of, of business, nonprofits, where we're different generations in this, this lack of ability to, to understand and communicate is, is causing tremendous challenges. Yeah, and I love that definition, where deep gladness in a world need meet. Yes, and that comes from, I cannot believe I'm going blank on the name. I need to come back. It was, uh, was that from Oz on, on the quote for that. No. How am I going blank on his name? Anyway, well, it'll, can I come back on that? Because I want to quote that properly. Yeah. Yes, you can. We can. And you know what? I think you can. You said it so well. I think at this point you should just call it your own. But that's just my two cents. <laughs> oh, <but>. no, yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> so think about this because, you know, you're well into your career now and you brought this passion and the things that you're doing around the world, your company, focus on the family you know, on that journey, I'm sure it wasn't a straight line. What were some of the challenges and struggles along the way? And how did you keep moving forward through some of that adversity? Oh, yeah, I would, I would say not were are like, they're continuous. You know, I think anytime, I think there's a misnomer, A, that when you get a calling, you walk out and like everything, all the stars are aligned and the, you know, the Red Sea parts and you walk out and everything falls into place. I actually think there's a lot more challenge associated with calling then there is like a, an easy road. And I think that's part of what differentiates it as well, because when you're when around your calling and you know that it's something way bigger than you from someone that you're called to share, then it, it makes the walking through a lot easier. But I think starting out, I was just so excited and I had a tremendous amount of passion and, and still do. But did you know that passion alone does not pay the bills? <laughs> yes, I've so, discovered that. Talker number one, right? And there's a thing called cash flow and, you know, as a speaker starting out, I did rotary clubs, anyone again, who would listen. So my first year, you know, you get paid in mugs and carbohydrates. <laughs> so it's, you know, you, you kind of start that process. And then as you start sharing, you get turned down. And I think sometimes at first for me, it was hard to separate that from, but don't you see this, this really, really matters. But over time you realize, wow, you start connecting with the right clients and the right groups. I think running a small business has a ton of challenges and, and has to have a lot of wisdom over how you set it up so that um, you can get enough momentum to get the resources in that really help continuously elevate the calling and the platform to get the message out into the world. So there's all kinds of challenges. And I think that that part of the true test of a calling is that you, that you just keep going and you get wise people around you and a tribe of support as you journey forward. If you don't mind, if I ask, what were some of those adversities that you had to push through? Build it, building oh, yeah. this. I think we have a lot of oh. people out there listening that are in a very similar kind of place to probably where we know that you've already walked. Yeah, so several. You know, I think starting out was just where do I start? <laughs> you know, I know that this is a topic that matters. Is it a book? Is it a speaking event? Is it a uh, podcast? Is it a blog? So I think the first part of encouragement would be to, to just start, right? To just put it out there. And so as I did that and I, I put out the message on any platform I could find, the most important thing is to listen. Listen to what people are asking you. Listen to the stories they're telling you. Listen to when they're engaging and when they're not. 
the people around you and the audience and the tribe that you're engaging tells you what they need and they tell you what would help them be successful if you have ears to listen. For example, in year one, I remember just being up like thinking about the value proposition of my business and I could not articulate it. It was so deep in my heart. It was so much bigger than just being a generational translator. And so I had a meeting with my mentor, one of my business mentors, and I showed him a year end survey I did with my first year of business. And he said, Oh, this is a great survey, but you missed the most important question. And I said, well, what do you mean? Like I looked at every kind of question and he said, well, you didn't ask them what job they hired you to do. And so he based that off of Dr. Clayton Christensen's work, um, Innovator's Dilemma. And he has a theory called jobs to be done theory. And it essentially states so many times our tribe or the community that we have something to share with is not buying it or engaging based on what we think they are. So for example, I thought my clients were hiring me to be, you know, to bring generational harmony into the workplace. But when I went back and said, you know, this is a kind of a crazy question, but what job did you hire me to do? And they said, oh, to help us see differently, to shift our paradigm. And it hit me, oh my gosh, I'm in the paradigm shifting genre. They never mentioned generations. Generations are just the, the channel in which to do that, but they talked about new ways of seeing so they can improve. So that was a tremendous, that helped write my value proposition. The second thing is thinking about particularly those who, whether it be a ministry or a social entrepreneur, or when you have something you're really close to, I mean, I would pay you to listen to this content because I believe that much it can change lives and, and connections. The challenge is, I think, at least for me, I had a hard time putting a dollar amount to a passion. It felt like it was impure to to the message. So I actually had to go to counseling over that to realize, and my counselor gave me a great exercise of really seeing how many hours have you plugged in studying? What have you learned? And help kind of put that into a cost-benefit analysis. And it helped me see, okay, that's really incredible. I can come deliver this in one hour, something that took me so many years of research to distill it down in clear, innovative ways. So to make sure you're working hard, the business end of all of this is equally important. I think particularly for the creative community, when you have something that you're passionate about, it can be easy to miss the business side. But if you get that right, it helps that that creative message um, get, get better and stronger. And then finally, when you think about that, um, just bring support around your journey. I have what I call a personal and a professional board of directors. These are people I've intentionally invited into my life to, to sit at my life's table, to share. I know who they are. I know their hearts. I know their values. We align in those areas and we're very different in other areas. We, we think differently. We, we come to the table with different perspectives. And I think that can help us see uh, past our blind spots. And also to shed a lot of wisdom in the areas we may not have a strength in. So it makes us whole. So I'd encourage just continuously thinking about who would you invite to sit at your life or your professional table. And then the challenge becomes like, are we the kind of leaders who other people would want to invite to sit at their table? So it's this beautiful exchange of, of giving and receiving. And I think that's where um, everyone wins. So, Jessica, early on, you mentioned generational theory. It was something you were starting yeah, to get into. Yeah. So kind of yeah. unpack that a little bit more uh, for the listener and kind of explain what generational theory is and the different schools of thought, if you will, and where we really kind of resonated. 
Yeah, you bet. So I want to start by defining generations because, you know, if you get on any social media, turn on the news, uh, go online, there's a meme, there's, there's a lot out there. And I think <laughs> that can be harmful when we don't steward the conversation wisely. So to frame it, when we talk about generations today on this podcast, we're talking about the social and cultural influences that impact a group of people as they're coming of age. So this is similar to but different than life stage which ebbs and flows and shifts and changes as we go throughout the different decades of our life. So that's a good thing. It's a sign of, of growth and development. Um, so for example, when I am a parent of a teen, I'm probably going to have a different perspective than when I'm a teen, right? Yeah. I see some head nods. I was going to say, yes. let's hope so. If not, we have like freaky Friday. Um, no, no, I'm actually taking notes because I love what you said. First of all, you define generation. This is what I was writing down is the social in cultural influences that are affecting us as we're coming of age. It's actually in those formative years, right? That is yeah. that, am I, so I'm yeah. thinking about my son who's 22, right? Yeah. He's grown up his whole life, you know, knowing iPhone and Google and electronics and in a completely different way of communicating and interacting with the world than I was raised with at that time. And that then shapes how I show up in the world and think and process and seek information and communicate with my friends. And I just top my head, right? A lot of, I know a lot of people in my generations look at, cause I'm gen X, you know, look at some of the differences and see it as a right wrong thing because it's different versus it's actually just a difference. Is that fair? Oh yes. And I get really excited because when we look at generational theory, we're going to see how complementary these differences are and they're not bad or wrong. They're just different. And when we bring them together in understanding and cohesion, Oh my goodness, you talk about the power to change the world. It's a beautiful, complete story. So you're exactly right, John. We look back right to lead forward. So as we look at those formative years, we look at what was happening in the world. What was the media? What were the workplace norms? What were the family norms or traditions? And what we found about those influences in childhood is that they're enduring and they follow us throughout our different decades of life. That's why this is so important to understand. Um, so someone who grew up in the Great Depression were slogans like, waste not. Want not. You know, want not. Save for a. Rainy, rainy day. day. There you go. Yeah, guys, you got it. <laughs> save for a rainy day. We often see that that value of financial prudence and stewardship is one that follows them all throughout their decades of life. So we have to be really thoughtful about this topic because what it's not about, it's not about stereotyping or saying, if you are this generation, you have these 3.5 qualities. Not at all. It's a lot like looking in a forest and seeing that all the trees are totally different and they grew up in similar soil with similar exposure to sunlight and rainfall. And so we can extrapolate some big ideas about those trees. And that's what we do with generations. And we began to see, oh, okay. If you grew up in, in an environment of outdoor play and your kids grew up maybe gaming online, that's going to influence a lot of things from our basic brain wiring to our expectations of how quickly things are going to move. And so you see this come out in a lot of ways. One of the most funny I saw recently, we were talking about in a training defining moments of a generation. And we had a baby boomer who said the moonwalk before she could finish a really excited 30 something said, Oh my gosh, the moonwalk. I love that dance. <laughs> so you've got Neil Armstrong and uh, Michael Jackson, right? And yeah. both know a thing or two about the moonwalk. And so from the words and phrases, 
having different meaning to the basic behavioral norms in which we come of, come of age and into the different ways we see one another with this vast amount of change overlaid without the right understanding, it can lead to conflict even when everyone means well. And so we're seeing that right now. We're seeing in, in companies about $30.5 billion annually, according to Gallup, lost on millennial turnover. Um, we have found out recently that age is the number one diversity challenge in North America and that one in three people are losing a 12% productivity each week due to chronic unaddressed generational issues. So my lens is helping us see, yes. So you said, what was that one, what was the 12% stat? Yeah, so one in three people are losing 12% uh, productivity each week uh, due to chronic unaddressed generational issues. And what are those issues that are remaining unaddressed that's creating this decrease in productivity? So we're seeing it show up mostly in communication and certain expectations in the workplace, such as work ethic, for example. And so let's break this down just a little bit, because when we study generations and we say a blank word like work ethic, I hear a lot from clients, oh my gosh, the next generation, they just, they don't have a strong work ethic, bottom line. And so when we look at that word for older Gen X and our, and our boomer and traditionalist friends, when they came into the workplace, boomers, for example, they were 80 million strong. So imagine that getting a, a job and into a position of leadership, you had to come in and work hard. And at the time that, that association with, with, with working hard is being on the job at the literal site, being there early and staying late. So there's often a linkage with work ethic, with hard work, meaning time, right? Emerging generations, it really has nothing to do with time. They could do it from anywhere, anytime, and have all kinds of new tools in which to make it happen. So for them, work ethic is related to output. So the entire team could be saying we have a strong work ethic. Yeah, but they don't. <laughs> when really everyone is coming at it from a different frame. So that's a perfect example of how this, these unaddressed issues are kind of taking shape. We see also on that list of the unaddressed issues like HR policies from flex leave to um, do you have to be on the workplace at this time? Do you have paternity leave? All of these different values coming together. And it's fascinating to see how it goes down. Technology is another top one on the list and an inability to kind of transfer knowledge among one another. So if I'm looking at some of the you know, the different generations talking about some of this friction, because I know there's a lot of cultures, business cultures where it kind of is, you know what, we don't have just the way we work or the traditions that are here. We're not going to do a lot of flex time or telecommute type thing. So what advice do you give people to kind of shift some of the expectations in that workplace to reduce the friction? Yes. So that makes sense. Um, totally. So the first step, and I just wrote a whole book on this because here's the thing, you know, this topic of generations is nothing new. First and foremost, generational conflict has been happening with every single generation, right? As they emerge and they bring in these new ways, it's going to ruffle someone's feathers. Because That's true. When are, I was 22, I guarantee I ruffled yeah. a lot of people's feathers. I know yeah, Steve yeah, really so did. How? Now we're going to, now we're going to interview you. How did you <laughs> we'll come back to that? <laughs> <laughs> so this has been happening. Now, why is this topic so big right now? Um, a couple of things, right? We're going through one of the greatest generational shifts in history. I'm going to pull back into Steve's gen theory in a minute because it is, it's almost always left out of the discussion. And yet it's kind of the, 
the little pearl of wisdom sitting in the middle that if we'll see it, we'll understand why this is happening and what we can begin to expect. So we've got gen theory at a really critical time in this larger theory. We've got a name and a language for generations as a cultural competency. We've got this massive generational shift going on. And we've been talking about it a lot over the past, I don't know, probably eight to 10 years. So what I'm hearing out in the market is like, okay, we get it. Generational issues are a thing. What do we do about it? How do we come together? And how do we nurture that friction into innovation? And so in my book, I talk about seven steps on how to do that. And it starts with a basic understanding of different generations, who they are, what life was like for them growing up, and how we can communicate with, relate to, and engage them in meaningful ways. Then the second step is that we're going to bring those those pieces together in appreciation. So this is where we move from generational diversity to inclusion. And so I teach a model called generational fluency of, of what do we do when, I mean, this, the generational struggle is real and it can kind of make you crazy. You know? So what do you do if you, you have a situation you think is a generational conflict? How do you respond? And actually how can that, that little piece of friction be used to make your team and your company or your cause better and stronger? So we understand one another, we appreciate one another, and then we've got to learn to communicate so everyone can hear and understand. So if we're saying moonwalk, that we know, are we talking Michael Jackson or Neil Armstrong, if we say work ethic, this is what that means to us. And that leads us into step four, it's a culture piece. How do we create a culture where all of these different perspectives can come together and belong and thrive? How do we coach one another? And then the sixth step looks at an anticipatory lens. So sitting all around us are clues into where things are going and generational elements and trends are one of those clues to help us forecast where, where the next is going. And so when we do that and we begin to see, okay, this based on these generational trends, we could envision this in the next few years. What can we do now to prepare for next? So we look at, at change and preparing for the future. And that last step is knowledge transfer, because when we understand one another, we can bring our differences together. We've got a place and a space where this is, is conducive for diverse perspectives. Now, let's share our knowledge with one another so that we both as people, as well as our organizations and this institutional knowledge and wisdom and legacy can get translated and improved with each new generation. So the book is called Regenerate. Yes, yes. And I got to tell you, I work with so many teams and in, in different organizations, uh, especially larger ones. And there's so many, I think, entrenched mindsets. So you have, mm -hmm. you know, some leaders that uh, I think they're a little bit stuck and maybe willing to change. So here's the question I want to ask you. The people that you've worked with, let's say they're the younger generation. Let's say 35 and younger. I know there's a lot of leaders that are, you know, older generations than them that are working at making some shifts and changes and making the culture better and they do have a focus on equipping, but you do have a group of, I think, of leaders that are kind of stuck in their mindsets. I don't think they're great leaders. We definitely have to deal with this in larger organizations, especially if we're a young, ambitious man or woman who's kind of coming up, right? They are mm -hmm. doing some things. How would you counsel somebody, a young leader coming to you saying, you know what, my boss or the leadership of my company or this industry, man, they just don't get it. They're not willing to reduce, you know, do some of the things that you just talked about. I mean, is it just like go find another job or are there things that they can do from where they're sitting in that environment to maybe start to make things 
different and better? Yeah, it's a wonderful question and, and a very common problem on such a macro type of level. So, so first and foremost, I will always be an advocate of education and, and understanding and awareness because all of these tools that we learn about each generation, it's going to give us such a lens to relate to them in a way that they can hear and understand. So, for example, when you understand the boomer story, for example, or a traditionalist, and that they grew up without many peers, sacrifices with success, that um, many of the normals in the workplace, you go in, you work in the same company, you work your way up, and with that becomes leadership and authority, and that authority is not to be questioned. In fact, if it is, it could be considered disrespectful. So when you know some of these things, it's going to help you begin to frame how you shape those types of communications and ways that they can hear and understand. So in a lot of the next generation coaching I do, we, we, we talk about the intent starting with rather than a change or something because the things that are changing, see we're sitting in the middle of this and Steve, in just a moment, I promise I'm going to go back to generational theory because this is going to tie everything (laughs) together. But we are in this point of tremendous tension and in it we are, we're changing and we're losing things and there's extreme grief associated with that process. And I'm a huge advocate for infusing grief uh, theory into the work that I do with clients because part of the resistance is many of the things that are changing a lot of our boomer friends have worked really hard to build and then their model and their day coming in and asking such bold questions was so against the normal. It's so outside of their cultural lens. And so, so you can imagine when young people are coming in and just kind of doing it or moving quickly, it can feel disrespectful and it can feel overwhelming and an associated panic because wow, things are changing so quickly. Will I still be relevant in the middle of all this? Well, you know, that's such a good point, though, too, because so many of us are, you know, there's different levels of comfort with change. And as we get older, I think that comfort level does tend to actually shrink. So what I'm hearing you say is a lot of the younger generations have to really maybe understand, almost put themselves in that person's shoes, that maybe, you know, what they're thinking. They felt like, hey, they've paid this price. They've had to do it a certain way to get the rewards that they have. So, I mean, they're it's not just the older folks having to learn the differences of the younger, it goes both ways. And so there's actually a responsibility for the people coming up into the workforce to let's say, understand me if I'm a little bit challenging. And I think just as a thought, something that I really try to teach people to do, especially across generations is you have to learn how to go give feedback. People have not been taught Mm -hmm. how to go have some of those conversations. I love what you said about intent. My intent is to have an amazing team and a place I come love to work. So Jessica, can I, can I come and talk to you about some things you're doing that's yeah. kind of making me, you know, not feel excited about coming in on Monday. Now, a lot of people, they're not comfortable to have that because they really haven't been given the tools to do that. But I might just as a 55 year old leader have a couple blind spots, habits I've developed over a 35 year career and not even realize how I might be even yeah. coming across to somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a dance and we are all invited into the room and we're all going to come in with our signature move, right? And we can learn and enter with a posture of humility as we enter the dance so that we can really begin to jive and honor one another. And so what we see is that change rises. So as emerging generations are, are coming up, they're bubbling with it some change. And so, yes, it's understanding who you're going to and how you can honor them. How could you, in all the surveys I've done with boomers, they've said, listen, even just taking time to say thank you, 
they've worked hard to build, build so many of the foundations that my generation can just walk into and it, it's kind of there for us. So are we taking time to honor them and their story, listening to their whys, and then clarifying our intent, hey, because I want our team to be succeed, uh, to succeed and I want to bring my best forward, can you help me understand X, Y, Z versus going in and saying, hey, why is this policy never changed? You know, and then likewise, you invert it. And for our friends in, in the boomer community to understand, wow, if I grew up in these times and I can tap an app and a non-GMO sandwich from Panera is going to be drawn to my doorstep. There may be expectations when I come to the workplace that things are going to happen quickly. And of course, there's going to be an associated frustration if that type of on-demand consumption is not happening in our company. And so I believe when we take time to understand one another there and listen to our stories, I do story sharing in every single, even if it's a big keynote, we are story sharing because if we did nothing else in my keynotes but story share, it would be a smashing success because when people share, we talk about their childhood and what was happening in the world. Oh my gosh, it gives me chills even just thinking of sharing it with you because first it gives people a platform to remember the moments, the memories, the people who helped shape who they are today and, and a reminder to, to honor those people. And then it gives us such fresh views of those who may have had different stories than ours. So Jessica, imagine a team sitting around, right? Uh, eight, nine, ten of us. Yeah. If you could do this like really quickly, because I think this could be so powerful. How would you, if somebody who's leading a team, wherever they are, whatever age they are, do a story sharing exercise? What would that look like to kind of set it up and have people do that? Because yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, you bet. And I'll even do better. I'll make sure to get these to you for your podcast notes. But it's in chapter nine of my book is all about how you do this for your team. And it's a step-by-step process. Because nice. I believe story. Yeah, I'm a geek like that, y'all. Can my y'all come out? I'm a Tennessee girl. <laughs> yes, all y'all can do that. Okay, all y'all can do that. Gather around, y'all. <laughs> um, so what's really neat is um, story, by the way, just as a little a geek out moment, what the research shows is it unites the brain between the storyteller and the listener. So I do it by dyads first. And what that means is I ask people to group up and with one other person. So you have partner one and partner two. For one minute, I do speed story sharing because we have a lot of content to cover, but I think about two minutes is great. Hey, tell me about what life was like for you growing up. What was happening in the world? What were your favorite family traditions? What did you do for the holidays? What were the expectations of work? What were the, the ad campaigns? And so I have a list of questions just to spark for those who may not be as comfortable or a little more, you know, on the introvert side. So to share that and partner the second partner just listens and then we switch and partner two shares, Hey, this is what I remember from childhood and partner one takes time to listen. We cross share then as a group. So if you're in a conference room and you've listened to partner one and then partner two share across the group, you're going to see similarities and commonalities. And by the way, that gives you your foundation to build upon. And then you're going to hear differences that are enlightening and like, Oh, okay. This makes so much sense. And then the powerful part is making sure not only experiences are they great, but it's the reflecting on experiences. And so I always close with two questions. How was it for you remembering? So for the one who was sharing about life like for them growing up, was it easy, hard, challenging? And I challenge you to not forget to remember in the busyness of life, but the people, the moments, the memories that have shaped you. And the second question is, how was it for you to listen? Oh, that's a hard one, right? what did you find in listening about your partner? Often commonalities emerge, sometimes differences. And how can we take listening and story sharing outside of this room 
to better understand and connect no matter our difference to bring people together. That is awesome. So we're going to definitely have that linked. I would really encourage people to do that. I have seen the dynamics of a team change drastically. Yeah. You know, just as a quick sidebar, I was working with a team that had literally been working together. I think the most junior person on the team had been there like six years, Jessica. And we were doing an offsite. I think there was eight or nine of us. And somebody mentioned something about their four kids because I always have people talk about personal things. And her coworker who'd been working with her for all these years looked at her and goes, I had no idea you had four kids. Yeah. How are we ever going to address any yeah. of these things, yeah. let alone yeah. some of the friction if we don't even have a relationship to build on? Yeah, and when it's rooting out of relationship, that's powerful, right? And then we've got the space to come together. Yeah, yeah I love this because it does two purposes. Not only does it help frame up the different context where people come from, but it's also getting people to learn about other people, right? I'm actually learning yeah. some of your stories. Well, I love yeah. this, your family traditions, norms, things like that. So, okay, now we have to, you know, in essence of time, and we have to honor Steve here. We, I need to pull you back now to generational theory here as we kind of <laughs> land the plane and how all this comes together and some of the things you guys have been talking about and where this goes. Yeah, like, you know, I'm out and about sharing this generational word and, you know, I like for fun think about intergenerational communication strategy. So you can imagine my extreme delight when I met someone else who liked it too. And so undergirding everything we've talked about today is this theory called generational theory. And I'm going to take it so basic 101. What it essentially states is, is each generation kind of overcompensates from perceived lacks when they were growing up. And so as a result, we get caught in these same four cycles that keep repeating themselves throughout history. So it kind of gives us a lens to look back and understand some things and an anticipatory view of where things may be going. So it, the theory at a high level looks like this. Let's say you have a very optimistic generation, you know, sky's the limit. Have you ever seen the, the Lego movie? Yeah. Everybody's awesome. Yeah, this is the, Oh, you got it. <laughs> Everything is awesome. That is this generation. Well, then what do you think we're going to see in the next generation? Everything is horrible. No. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, right? I don't know, <laughs> but I do think this next awesome. generation coming up does feel that their opportunity is less than the people that came ahead of them. I think I'm getting that sense from even some things my, my boys are, have shared with me. I think that is a radical difference in American culture. Yeah, that, that's definitely a piece of, of what we see in the Gen Z mindset. So in this, this theory, we, we would see that everything is awesome generation is, is the boomers, right? There was a booming post-war economy, lots for them to be optimistic about. So the next generation we see after that, Gen X is like, everything is not awesome. Life is not all butterflies and rainbows, man. It's tough out there. After that, we typically see a very peacemaking or a harmonious generation who can reconcile that life is both beautiful and, and broken. They're, they're cause-oriented, they're harmonizing, that's the millennials, and then we typically see a generation of rebuilders with that foundation of kind of peace. They can come in and create really great things. So that's our, our Gen Z, our many makers. And then guess what happens after that? You go right back to the beginning. Yeah, look at what we built. Isn't it awesome? Not that awesome. I've seen better. And we keep going through these cycles. And so 
What's fascinating about what we're sitting now is we're sitting in the middle of a significant moment in this generational story. It's called a fourth turning. It only comes every 80 years and it's marked by chaos and complexity. What I think is fascinating for organizations is a time when our, our traditional models and modes uh, typically deconstruct and they rebuild from the ground up. And so as you can imagine, as this massive shift and regeneration is happening, that in the middle of it is great tension because many of the things and, and the people who have, have built them, it's changing. And I don't know about you all, but if you've worked hard for something and it maybe didn't go all the way through or if you've loved and lost, um, anyone who's been in that boat, you can know that it's, it's really hard. And so we've got to honor, we've got to celebrate the stories. We've got to grieve what's being lost. I mean, I've worked with a client who did a funeral um, once for a policy that it was just, it was time to let it go. And as you make space, the beauty is we get to infuse the next generation and empower them in the process. And in the middle of this tremendous season called a fourth turning, we have the opportunity to ask, what are we going to build? How can it be better? And how can we do it together? So I find this to be a really exciting time. It's a time of shifts, of change, of, of complexity and chaos. And with the right lens and bringing all perspective together, I believe we can come out better and stronger. And that's what the theory would indicate. And Steve, there's a book, The Fourth Turning, that you said is one of the most impactful books you've ever read, correct? Yeah. In my opinion, it's the second most impactful book I've ever read. And uh, it's written by Neil Howe and William Strauss. It was written 20 years ago in order to prepare baby boomers and Gen Xers and millennials for this current crisis season that we're in, this fourth turning. And in history, we've seen those fourth turnings as World War II and the Great Depression. We've seen it as the Civil War. We've seen yeah. it as the American Revolution. This one has been a very different fourth turning in that it hasn't necessarily been a war, a traditional conflict war. This has been a war of ideals, a war of ideas. You see the current conflict between the right and the left. You see the war, a conflict between mm -hmm. Eastern Islam versus the West. You see a conflict of secularists versus people of faith. This It's a really interesting time to live right now. Well, you know what, as you say this, you know what it feels like to me is that we're almost here in America in a like a civil cold war and the sharpening of the tone and the debate and the just how this is playing out is a bit shocking, right? But what I'm hearing you say is this is part of this generational turning. Is that correct? Absolutely. And it's kind of the concept, I kind of wrote about this this week, unrelated to generations, but it's kind of the breakdown before you break through. And in this model, it's Gen Z we need to be looking at. And we're not talking a lot about them. We, we're still kind of looking at millennials. And I love all generations. And we've talked about millennials. They come with a lot more grandiose into the workplace, right? So here's Gen Z emerging, and they're going to be disrupting a lot. I believe it's going to start with higher education. I think government will be a huge piece of this, but they're going to do it a little more silently than we may have seen with the millennials. In this theory, when you have these, let's say these four generations, there's always two dominant and there's two recessive. Um, currently in the spread we have with boomers, Xers, millennials, and Gen Z, it's the recessive generations, Xers and Zers, who we need to be watching out for. I think, you know, it's kind of like if you have the quiet, you know, how the quiet friends and sometimes you're like, whoa, where'd that come from? <laughs> it's Gen Z that I think we really need to be understanding and seeing how they view the world, because I think they're going to shake it up quite a bit. And so it's an exciting season and they need our help. 
When you look at the insights, when we look at the next generation, these are the 7 to 22-year-olds from um, how the Great Recession has impacted them. And you talked a little bit earlier, John alluded to a little bit more of kind of, hey, is this going to be a better world for our generation? And we see that a lot, and they're a little more focused on stability. We see that this technology surge, they're on demand. They, the first generation of digital natives, meaning they grew up with technology attached at their hip, and they're on track to be the most diverse generation in American history. Now, you could pack, unpack all three mm-hmm. of those trends and see uh, incredible clues about how Gen Z is going to think and lead and emerge. And so I think we are sitting on tremendous untapped opportunity to bring all perspectives together to guide us to better and more enduring causes and communities and companies. So I think it's such an exciting time. Well, how do people connect with you, get in touch with you, Jessica? Like, how do they find you, website, everything? Because I know people are going to follow the book. You can buy it anywhere is Regenerate. But how else can they get in touch with you? Yes. Oh, please come see my website. I've got a lot of things up and it's re-generations with an S dot O-R-G. Um, I will be putting out weekly updates, tips, and trends. And I have some really exciting new research that's getting ready to launch along with the new product. And my book, Regenerate, is out. The quickest way is Amazon Prime, and it'll be to you by tomorrow. And it's written, I had, uh, you can thank my editor. I should probably give you her email because it is written for busy people to read on the run. It's bulleted, it's quick, it's easy. Um, the first half is about understanding, framing the conversation, understanding, consider it a cheat sheet to each generation and how to honor them and relate to them. And the second half of the book is all on what now, how do we bridge these gaps? And it closes with a call to action that, that each one of us on this podcast today and in our homes and our workplace and our in our churches and our communities that we would intentionally see different generations and come together and share what we've learned to help one another and to improve our, improve our world. That is awesome. And Jessica, I would love to have, you know, Steve, let's have Jessica back on even in the near future and even walk through what I think would be fascinating is to take some time and actually look at some specific situations, Jessica, that you've come across maybe with this new research come out that are situational. And maybe we can go through three or four kind of situational things from different perspectives where people kind of sit, you know, with where they might be from their age group from a really positive way. Like when you're in this situation, here's things you can actually do to lead those around you, the organization you're in, to change it for the better, right? Because I personally believe that right now, I'm, I'm looking at the Gen Ys, the Gen Zs coming in. Uh, my son uh, is 22, just joined our company. These men and women, I believe, are absolutely potent. They have the potential to be an amazing force for good. And we have an opportunity of the, the some of the other generations to create this legacy of influence, impact, and leadership by sowing into that generation, equipping them, empowering them, and launching them into the calling that God has laid out in front of them. But we get this amazing privilege to help them connect to that. So that's a thought. I think that would be a blast to do something like that if you guys are up. Yeah, you know I'm in, and I'll close with this. You just spoke it so so perfectly, John, is is I believe that this mentoring and, and what's called reverse mentoring that we can learn from those mm-hmm. rising up, that, that mentoring is not contingent upon age, but that we can all learn from each other. And so 
what I think is so powerful about this is when we better understand one another and come together. Wow. Think of all the knowledge, wisdom, experience that can be exchanged and the outcome of how that could impact decades and people and ministries and companies to come. So it's an exciting topic. And I, I thank you so much for letting me share it with you today. Yeah, that was awesome. Steve, any final words? That's it. That's good. That's good. That's good, (laughs) y'all. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. As I said at the top, this edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock. Is there something that feels like it's blocking your business? The team at Marketplace Rock partners with you in unearthing those things that could be holding you back through intercessory prayer. Just earlier this year, Vicki told me while she was praying, she heard from me to water the seeds. I knew exactly what it meant and got some business out of it. Another time she was praying and accurately described one of our dogs who turned out needed medical attention. John and I can't recommend the team at Marketplace Rock highly enough. In fact, our phone calls with them are the highlight of our week. Visit them online, marketplacerock.com, or listen to either of Amy Everett's past interviews with us, episodes 4 and 66, marketplacerock.com. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.